Okay, please open your Bibles to Acts the Apostles, chapter 16. And last week we ended in verse 24 concerning Paul and Silas, who had been detained, flogged, and about to be incarcerated. And we read in verse 24 from Acts 16, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. They're pretty much chained feet to feet, side by side. And uh, some of these Roman cells are pretty grim. And we looked at Acts chapter 10 some weeks ago when Peter was detained. And he was sandwiched almost between two Roman souls here. Paul and Silas were detained. And I, I made the case last week that we're not told about Luke and Co. Where is Dr. Luke? We're not told. Where is Timothy? We are not told. But look at verse 25, please. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. Midnight, it's late in the day, heading towards the early hours of the next day. And Paul and Silas are praying and singing. What a great testimony. And uh, somewhere during this time of incarceration, not only are they able to find time to worship the Lord, but somewhere or during this period of time, they are preaching the gospel. Now, salvation is a supernatural event. How somebody gets saved, we're not necessarily told in great detail. We're told that the Lord came to die for sinners. We're told that he has drawn all men unto him. We're told that if you believe on him, you are saved. But we don't really understand that. It's like electric. We don't really understand how electric works. We know that if we flick the switch, it comes on. But beyond that, we don't really understand how electricity works. Well, the same is true of salvation. But 25 is quite telling. Paul and Silas are detained. They've been whipped. And they are praying and praising the Lord. And it says, and the prisoners heard them. Another great scripture to show indirect witnessing. Sometimes just standing on a street corner holding up a sign is a great way to witness for the Lord. You may get no conversations at all. You may give out very few tracts, but people see you, and that is a great testimony. Look at 26, please. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. A great earthquake has occurred, like Matthew 27, 28, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately... All the doors were opened, without exception, and everyone's bands were loosed, including, I believe, the prisoners, from verse 25. So picture this, if you will, for one moment. Paul and Silas, two saved Jews, have been incarcerated in a Gentile jail. They have been preaching and praying for, I would think, some time. And during this period of detention, a great earthquake has arrived, has occurred, 26, which shows the Lord is behind this. And all the doors have been opened and everyone's bands were loosed. Like I say, they were physically shackled one to another, like these chain gangs you see in America. No one's going anywhere. And yet look at 27. And the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep. And seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Well, of course, if they escape, he loses his life and probably his family as well. This is amazing, because not only has the Lord intervened to rescue Paul and Silas, not only has he intervened to blow the doors open and bring the walls down literally, but on top of that, he has also allowed the prisoners to be set free, which pictures salvation. And people speak about the civil rights movements, and they speak about slavery, and yet here, 
You're going to read this morning of a group of people that were physically detained against their own will. And at least two of these men are innocent. And when it comes to their ability to escape, they're going to stay put. And I'll offer more on that as we go through this piece of scripture. But the keep of the prison, 27, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had been fled. Now, somewhere along the way, this jailer has heard the gospel. I guess 25 is a strong allusion to that. And I'll repeat myself again that salvation is supernatural. We don't quite understand how it works. As I say, it's all about grace. Don't get me wrong. When a man turns to the Lord, the Lord turns to man. And somewhere along the way, they meet in the middle. And the Lord reaches down to that man, saves him and keeps him saved. Okay, that's not the issue that I'm trying to uh, discuss this morning. I'm not going to talk about imputation. What I'm trying to understand this morning is the exact process of salvation. Meaning this, how does it happen? At what moment does a man go from being dead to being alive? Well, 25 suggests that Paul and Silas have been praying and singing to the Lord. The prisoners have heard it, 25, and on top of that, the Philippian jailer must have heard it before he went to sleep. And yet by 27, he's gone to sleep. So somewhere along the way, the seed has been planted in the mind of the Philippian jailer. Look at 28, please. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here, including the prisoners. No one's gone anywhere. This is a great miracle. Not only has the prison walls been brought down, as I say, not only have they been set free from their shackles, but no one has gone anywhere. It's like Noah, when he boards the ark, all the animals went in, in order, and they all exited in order. The Lord is the Lord of order, not the Lord of confusion or disorder. And here, and here this is a great supernatural event. And Paul knows that this jailer is moments from suicide, and it says one more time from 28, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. This is remarkable. And I've watched many movies over the years of prison breaks. And I've watched documentaries of prison breaks. People planning for years to break out of jail. And sometimes even doing it. And yet here, when the opportunity has offered itself to escape, no one's going anywhere. Isn't that amazing? 29. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling. And fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a great question. He brought them out, Paul and Silas. But again, where's Dr. Luke? Where's Timothy? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, I've been saved 14 years. And to the best of my knowledge, very few people have ever said to me, what must I do to be saved? And yet, what a great question. And yet, you could ask yourself, is he speaking about what can I do to be saved from this crisis? Is he referring to being saved from all the damage around me? I mean, my prison has been demolished almost. The walls have gone down. The shackles have been set free. There's smoke and dust everywhere. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I'm going to lose my job. I may even lose my life. But that's not what he is referring to. 31. And they said... Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. He doesn't say turn from all of your sins. He doesn't say get baptized and join a church. He doesn't say speak in tongues. He says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, present tense, and thy house. And the last part of 31, 
get cited by those that think that infant baptism can save you, which of course is foolishness. His house would be concerning those of age. And last week we looked at Lydia, and it says how she got saved along with her household. Cornelius was the same as well. The Lord wants to save families. And here this jailer is no doubt a family man. He's told to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The just shall live by faith. There are no works involved. And yet somewhere along the way, 25, 27, 30, the Philippian jailer has seen his sin. He knows he's no good. He knows he has experienced the one true God. And he's come to the end of himself. And he cries out to the Lord, as I did 14 years ago, Lord, save me. But on this occasion, he's got two people to seek counsel from. Whereas when I got saved, I had no one to seek counsel from. No one led me to the Lord in a sinner's prayer. No one prayed with me to be saved. And no one told me, James, you just got saved at such and such a time on such and such a day. And sometimes it's helpful to have somebody pray with you. And sometimes it's helpful to have somebody to tell you the exact time and moment that you were saved. We call these people trained evangelists, full-time evangelists. But I wasn't saved that way. I wasn't led to the Lord by anybody from organized religion. But here, this jailer has two great men of God, two saved Jews. And they say in 31, one more time, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on him and trust in him. He died in your place. He took the full wrath of mighty God upon himself. And if you believe on him, if you trust in him, you are saved. Present tense. There's no works involved. There's no mass here. There's no Eucharist here. There's no confirmation here. There's no speaking in tongues here. It's all about grace. It's supernatural. The new birth is completely from the Lord. Look at 32, please. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house, of course. You can't imagine Paul and Silas speaking to an infant and trying to articulate the plan of salvation to, a, to an infant. It'd be foolish. Imagine sitting down with a five-year-old and trying to explain British foreign policy. It'd be pointless. Or imagine sitting down with a six-year-old and trying to explain the UK's finances. You couldn't do it, you wouldn't do it. It's pointless. This man is a family man. This man has children that are old enough to comprehend right from wrong, okay? He may have servants working for him, but that's unlikely. He's a jailer, not particularly well paid, I wouldn't have thought. But it says, how they spake unto him the word of the Lord. They, plural, sirs, plural, 30. There's no one man taking the lead here. Did you notice that? If the apostles were princes of the church, if the apostles were popes or leaders, you would have thought that Paul would have taken the lead. But he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 30. He doesn't focus just on Paul. He says, sirs. At 31, you're told by Dr. Luke, how they, the pair of them, spake unto him the word of the Lord. Verbally, of course, which would be the plan of salvation, later written down for us, no doubt, 1 Corinthians 15. And they speak to him and to all that were in his house, wife, children that were old enough to comprehend the gospel, and possibly some extended neighbors, but we're not told that. But nevertheless, they are old enough to comprehend the gospel. They're old enough to receive it or reject it. Look at verse 33, please. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all his straight way. He took them the same night, the same hour of the night, the exact moments of the night and washed their stripes. They've been beaten. They may have open wounds and those wounds could be infected. 
She takes them the very hour of the night, washes their stripes, and was baptized. He in all his straight way. Total immersion, no doubt, and it happens straight away. Remarkable. Most churches will make you wait weeks before they baptize you. In fact, most churches will want you to join their church and become a member before they baptize you. But here, there's no delay. Why? Because time is of the essence. But this man was saved by believing. He wasn't saved by being baptized. Did you notice that? In fact, you were told in Mark 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So you are saved by believing, and you are damned by not believing. Baptism plays no part whatsoever in your salvation. But listen to me, you should be baptized if you can, and you should be baptized by total immersion. And at the end of 33, he and all his straight way. His entire family have been baptized. They were told that in 31, and it's happened right before your eyes. This is quite remarkable and very unusual. Look at 34, please. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. He brings them into his house. He sets meat before them, rejoices, and believes in God with all of his house. His entire house are now part of the equation. His entire house have got saved. What started as a potential prison break has resulted in the jailer being saved along with his family, his household. And I would assume that would include his wife and those that were old enough to comprehend right from wrong. This is a very fast-moving event. He went to work that morning, expecting to do a typical 12-hour day. He went to work that morning thinking that he'd be in charge of a group of typical prisoners, murderers, thieves, rapists, who knows, and somewhere along the line, some political prisoners have come into his jail. It was the last thing he expected to have to face, and around midnight, they are singing and praising the Lord, something which he's never seen before, and yet somehow he's able to go to sleep. During his sleep, he awakes to a crisis, and like Pilate's wife, she says to Pilate, have nothing to do with this just man, I've suffered many things of him in, in, uh, in dreams throughout the night, so on and so forth. And she warns Pilate. She says, don't get involved with this man. He's a good man. He's a just man, so on and so forth. And Pilate has a chance to release him or to detain him. And that really goes under the subject of free will and the Lord's sovereignty, which I've got time to discuss this morning. But here, this man has heard the gospel to some extent. He's being convicted, certainly. Hence why he comes running in with a light, pleading with them to explain to him what he needs to do. And his day ends with a new birth. He's gone from being an enemy of the Lord to being a son of the Lord. 35. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the sergeant saying, let these men go. And the keeper of the prison told the saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. This is incredible. Now picture this, please. Paul and Silas have been detained. They've been whipped, flogged, beaten with contempt, humiliated, They've been shackled to one another. They've been surrounded by unsaved heathen of the lowest sort. They've been set free, thanks to the Lord's intervention. They've got a man in his family born again, baptized. They've started to articulate the plan of salvation to them. They've spent some time with the jailer, worshipping him in his home. And yet the next day, the magistrates, 35, have sent the sergeant saying, let these men go. We don't want the hassle. There's too much red tape here. If we don't dismiss them. And this gets back to the keeper of the prison, 36. And he tells this to Paul. 
how the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. Please don't cause me any problems. It's bad enough my jail has been ruined. And yet it gets even more fascinating. 37. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privately? Nay, verily, but let them calm themselves and fetch us out. What's happened is remarkable. Paul and Silas have gone back into the jail. And the walls have gone back up. And their chains have gone back around their feet. And on top of that, the prisoners never left in the first place. Can you comprehend that? The walls have come down. There's a potential mass prison break. And yet no one has gone anywhere. Now Paul and Silas temporarily left the jail, as I say. But they've gone back into the jail the next morning in anticipation for the sergeants coming along to ask them to leave. And somewhere along the way, the Lord God rebuilds this jail. And that's not the half of it. The prisoners didn't go anywhere either. They stayed there all night. And yet what is rather disappointing to read is that not one of those prisoners got saved. Just one family got saved. The Philippian jailer, of course. But the other detainees, the other prisoners, didn't get saved. I may come back and offer some more thoughts to that later on. But Paul is furiated. He is incredulated. He is very upset. He knows he's been detained illegally. On top of that, he's a Roman citizen, 37. He has been treated with contempt. And he says, nay, verily, but let them calm themselves and fetch us out. He's incredulated as he's furious. He is staking his rights. And you would have thought that he would say, okay, just walk all over me. I'm a doormat. I'm nothing or nobody. But no, on this occasion, he stands his ground, which suggests to me that we too can do the same as Christians. We're not doormats. And if you live in a country which calls itself a democracy, check what your rights are. Because one day you may need those rights. But one more time from 37. But Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly uncondemned. Beaten us without a trial. Beaten us without getting outside of the story. Being Romans, he includes Silas, who must have been a Roman, I assume, and have cast us into prison. The big house, as they used to call it. And now do they thrust us out privately or privily. Old English for in private, discreetly, so on and so forth. Nay, verily, no way, he's saying. But let them come themselves and fetch us out. They put us in here, he's saying, let them come and set us free. There's a level of anger that you can feel it, can't you? The hostility there in, in, in his voice. 38. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. It was illegal to detain a Roman and beat him before questioning him. He had rights. The Americans have a constitution. And if you don't follow the constitution in America, you can be prosecuted. And here, these Roman Jews are making it clear they have been illegally detained. In this country, if you are illegally detained, you can claim compensation. You can sue the government. And I, I'm all for that. I know some of the brothers in America have been detained over the years for street preaching. And they've had their Bibles and banners confiscated. And they have prosecuted their councils. And they've won. I'm all for that. I know some brothers in the UK have been detained and arrested. And they too have sued and have won. And I'm all for that. I think sometimes you have to hit the government in the pocket. Because we have rights as well. And we're living in a day now where the rights are sliding out of control. And the, the rights are going in one direction. And the minority of minorities are having the upper hand against us. 
And I think if we live in a country like the UK, for example, which offers itself as a, as a democracy, which offers itself as a Christian nation, then we should use that to our advantage. But I don't think we should exploit it. So here, Paul and co. are going to claim their rights. As Romans, they want an apology. And of course, the sergeants from 38 are now worried. Of course, because they too could now be in trouble. But let's read on, please. 39. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. Just go. You're causing us problems now, Paul. You're a troublemaker. You're hanging around. You're claiming rights. We want you just to leave. You're a mischief maker. And yet Paul, I think the greatest Christian ever lived and what he forgot whenever no realizes that it's time to move on. You can't win every battle, that's true. But he's made his points. And it says in verse 40, And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. No doubt escorted out of town, possibly with an armed guard. Get out, you're not welcome here. Could you imagine Billy Graham experiencing that? Or John MacArthur? Or James White? Can you imagine those men being escorted out of town, whipped, beaten, spat upon? No, of course you could not. And yet they've been kicked out of town and they go back to the house of Lydia. A great woman of God, and it said of her back in 15, how she constrained them to remain in her home. She almost embraced them. It's a great picture there of fellowship, like Lazarus, Mary and Martha. Please stay. You're more than welcome to do so. And they go back to her house, and they see the brethren, and they are comforted. So there you are, 40 verses from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16. And there's always much ground to cover. But uh, what I didn't quite appreciate until last night and also early this morning was how the Lord broke the walls down, as I say, loosed the bands, the uh, stocks from everybody, without exception, in this jail. And yet nobody escaped. They all stayed put. And the prisoners stayed put until the next morning. Paul and Silas were able to escape, but not escape in the sense of escaping for freedom, but escaping in the sense of going next door to baptize the jailer and his family. They go back into the jail the next day, probably early morning, and their stocks go back around their feet. They are re-incarcerated. The walls go back up, and the damage that was done in 26 has now been reversed. Now, I almost missed that when I first read this piece of scripture last week, or the week before last, in preparation of recording it. But I think if you read the text carefully, you'll, you will concur with me that the Lord was able to reverse it. So when the sergeants arrive the next day, they're not aware of what has occurred. And what the Lord was able to reverse has resulted in the jailer being spared. The prisoners are still in their places. And I think it's quite possible to assume that the Lord perhaps put them into a deep sleep. Because it would be very difficult to think that hardened criminals would have been quite happy to stay put in jail with the walls being knocked down and the, win and the windows blown out. I don't believe it. I think what happened was they were set free, as the text tells us, but the Lord put them into a deep sleep, perhaps. Maybe they were unconscious, I don't know, but they are, on one hand, aware of what's going on. They can hear Paul and Silas rejoicing and praising the Lord, which is great. And yet, when it comes to salvation, they miss it and the jailer gets it. But somewhere along the way, they have stayed in jail all night. Somewhere along the way, Paul and Silas have been told to leave. They have now become somewhat of an embarrassment. And Paul, as I say, stakes his rights. Makes it quite clear that 
what has occurred to him and Silas is illegal, out of order, as they say. And this sends shockwaves back to the magistrates, the sergeants, 38. But by 39, they brought them out, probably by force, and desired them to depart out of the city. I bet they did. Get out, you guys, your troublemakers, your Bible bashers, your fanatics. Don't come back here again. They went out of the prison, verse 40, and entered into the house of Lydia, a wonderful woman of God who didn't speak in tongues. And did you notice the jailer didn't speak in tongues either? From 16, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36. Now, did you notice that? He didn't speak in tongues. She didn't speak in tongues. And it ends on verse 40. And when they had seen their brethren, those that were saved in that, in that particular part of the world, they comforted them and departed. What a great way to end Acts 16. But I think what you get there, hopefully, is the Lord very much in control from beginning to end. And it started back in 169, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. The sort of man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And that's what resulted in Lydia being saved. That's what resulted in a young lady being set free from an unclean spirit. And that's what resulted in the Philippian jailer getting saved. And yet, as far as we can tell, none of the prisoners were saved as a result of this prison break, as a result of the Lord's intervention into this jail. But one last time, Lydia gets saved, the jailer gets saved, and the young girl gets set free. All based, I think, from Acts 16, verse 9. But I'll close it there, and next week we'll pick it up in Acts chapter 17.